Well, hello, date night fam. Tony here with the beautiful Brie. Good afternoon, well, my love. We've got quite the pod today. Yes, a hot button issue. Heading into Pride Month and starting today, we're going to see a full court press. Everyone knows of everything LGBTQ on every platform, every store, school, workplace, and... Get this, the CDC just released data saying nearly 25% of Gen Z now identifies as LGBTQIA. So we thought it would be important to talk Pride Month mm-hmm. and specifically how we guide our children through it because it's simply something we, they all will grow we up all with. all will. And certainly uh, we're going to share everything in love, but part of that is being super clear on truth and what it means to raise our kids in a way that honors God, uh, building a true family, blessing society. And if you'd like more information than we cover today, pick up the very enlightening little book, Strange New World by Carl Truman, where he traces the past 200 years of progressive thought and how, using his words, thinkers and activists redefined identity and sparked the sexual revolution. About $15 on Amazon. That's it. So you ready, my love? Yes. Ethan, you're ready? Let's do it. Okay, well, I don't think anyone's going to argue, my love, that LGBTQIA and identity politics and gender dysphoria and sexual revolution is the issue of our generation, maybe the century. Wow, it's truly everywhere. (laughs) So let's try to keep this simple today. There'll be a lot of information, but we're just breaking it up into component parts, uh, starting with the issue itself, because I don't think most people, even I'll speak for myself, I was in this boat for a long time, really realize how long these anti-Christian fault lines have been building momentum under our Western culture. Uh, and then we can look into the Bible a little bit and get to practical ways parents can prayerfully guide their kids through it all. Sounds good. So let's call section one here a century of sexual revolution and try to gain perspective on just how behemoth these issues are. And by a giant, I really mean giant. Um, and they aren't going to be changed in years or even decades. Part of that is what Charles Taylor once called the, in quote, social imaginary, which is just another term for worldview. Uh, but all he was referring to was the way ordinary people view their surroundings. And Carl Truman, in the book I mentioned earlier, expands on that, saying, quote, what Taylor was pointing to was the fact human beings do not typically think about themselves and the world they inhabit in consistently self-conscious terms. Rather, we all imagine it to be in certain ways, a kind of a picture in our mind, both physically and morally. So he's saying that much of how we view the world around is instinctive. Yeah, it's instinctual. Like when we stand up to grab coffee, we don't reflect on the physics of walking (laughs) or the type of substance our mug is made of. Um, But we do still walk a certain path, go through the square frame cutout called a door and hold the cup uh, in a way to avoid the heat. And while doing that, we're not reflecting on Aristotelian arguments about ethics or first principles, you know, to mug or not (laughs) to mug. It's It's a lot more instinctive than that. So he's saying the story of modern man isn't just because of one big thing who turned the tide and suddenly there's gross societal evil, but rather a more slow development Mm -hmm. where each generation intuits or interprets the social realm a bit differently than the last and it slowly erodes. Exactly. 98% of people make decisions on external pressure, not internal principle. How does that fit with the current sex revolution? Well, it didn't happen overnight. That's the point. Like everyone says, you know, it, it was like all history, a confluence of worldviews, a confluence of thinkers, a confluence of scientific development, slowly morphing to the point people stopped holding an external morality as their primary 
um, source of authority and slowly started holding their own internal self as a source of authority. And it was certainly primed by thinkers and activists, which we'll talk about, but overall just more of a slow metamorphosis of cultural instinct based on all of those confluence of factors. What are some examples of that confluence? Yeah, I, I think about the 1960s. I mean, all those radical students at Berkeley discover the work of Wilhelm Reich, and then they merge that with the science of the pill, for example, which for the first time in history made it cheap to separate sex from procreation. Wow. Then Playboy and Cosmo in the mainstream present promiscuity as cool, you know, for both men and women. Uh, Government allows no-fault divorce, reducing marriage to a sentimental bond. Uh, The feminist rhetoric asserted a woman's control over sexuality. And then, of course, the internet massively expanded accessibility to porn. Uh, And the more people used it, the more social stigma wears off. And then the list goes on and on. But it's only been about 50 years, and now sex is nothing, as we all know, but an, in quote, cost-free pastime. Would you say, then, that the sexual revolution and the progressive worldview goes back to at least the 1950s? I honestly would say, I think most historians would agree, Christian or secular, that it goes back way further. And that's why I recommended Truman's book a second ago, because he traces the slow move to dethrone any external morality as authority in order to slowly enthrone personal feeling, and even traces it back all the way 200 years. I mean, guys like Jacques Rousseau, who sparked the French Revolution with the mantra, make known thy inner self, uh, and then all the romantic poets like Shelley and Wordsworth and Byron, Obviously, Karl Marx, uh, who we've talked about before on this podcast, who paved the way for Nietzsche, who wrote on gay science. He, he's the one who said, quote, God is dead. Uh, Oscar Wilde came of that, out of that, who was the epitome of sexual rebel and is still really a cult hero whose grave is a shrine. He said, write for self, care for no society. Um, obviously, you know, here we go, my favorite Freud. Sigmund. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Freud, who taught the sexualized self. I mean, his writings, he said, life, our life goal, get this, is absence of pain and experience of pleasure. And religion is only an invention to tame the animalistic self. I mean, that, there it is right there. All of which birthed Reich, who I just mentioned, the Austrian psychologist who combined um, all of that in writing and said, morality's only aim is to produce subjects of the authoritarian state. Uh, and then came the hippies and feminism and the pill and playboy and LGBTQ. All to say, if sex is who we are, that's their point. If sex is who we are, then morality codes need to be shattered. And if sex is identity, then sex is political and what I feel needs to be done. Um, And in the modern world, that's all Disney is. It's just the modern iteration of it saying, listen to your inner self. Uh, And then subsequently, any authority, any tradition, any place like a church who's trying to stop that direction of my inner self needs to be opposed as politically evil, sociologically evil, and of course, spiritually evil. Wow. So what most people, here's the crazy thing, even Christians under 35 don't understand is that their worldview, their what Taylor called social imaginary, is largely a Marxist Freudian worldview, and they really don't even know it. And that's why the self-God, sex-God culture pushes back so hard against Bible-believing Christians and Christian families because those Christians mm-hmm. are taking orders from an external authority, the Bible, which opposes the inner Disney voice they worship. <laughs> that's exactly right. An external God who opposes the internal Disney voice, you know? It's simply two religions, the religion of self versus the submission to God. So why is it important for us to know how far back this goes? Uh, because it reminds us that these aren't short-term problems and they're not going to be short-term solutions. And, and though I know that that can be depressing for some, especially those who think the right politician or Supreme Court justice will fix it. Um, it also can have a sobering effect. Um, a, a, it'll help us with, you know, kind of 
perspectival, a paradigmatic understanding of the scale of all this to really run the marathon and not get so fired up over every bad news cycle, um, but really most of all, yearn more and more for the return of Christ who will 100% come back to fix it. Amen. Okay, let's make the turn right there from a century of sex revolution to a certainty in scriptural truth. Uh, And we really want to slow down right here and make sure that our entire date night fam hears this. God's word, don't miss this, is crystal clear on this issue. Yes, as many of you know, there's a growing effort in formerly evangelical circles to reinterpret what the Bible says about male, female, homosexuality, and even in quote pastors now lead churches allowing deviant Mm -hmm. behavior but nothing could be further from the truth or from what God wants for us. Yeah, can you read Romans 1? And warning everyone, we're gonna do we're gonna do 10 verses here. So hold on. Okay, I'll start in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their heir. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they knew the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Mm, Thank you for reading all of that. And I know that was a lot, but please... Date Night Family, do not miss those three levels of God's judgment that Bree just read so clearly. On a society that turns from him to worship the creature rather than the creator, first, he turns them over to natural consequences of their sex sin. Second, he turns them over to homosexual or unnatural sin. Then to a depraved mind, which literally there in the Greek is an insane mind, and ultimately allows they give hearty approval, meaning they cheer and even legislate those evils. Yes. And that right there is where Western society is today. Romans 1 on full display. A hundred years ago, we turned to the creature, self-worship, instead of the creator, God. And God said, fine, I'll give you what you want. And those simple verses bring clarity, especially on two things. Number one, any sex outside of marriage between a male and a female is sin in the sight of God, and any true Christian will never condone such behavior. And equally important, especially to this pot, is number two, no matter how you raise your kids, they will be exposed to this. 
from the time they're three or four, whether it's children's toys, books, candy, cereal, clothing lines, and cartoons, all have become mouthpieces for the sexual perversion of a society that God has handed over to those evils. It's so heartbreaking. And we'd have to live in a bubble or a deserted island to keep our children from all of this. And that's just impossible. Exactly. And that's why we want to do this pod. So as Christians, we're being bombarded with all this stuff. We know the Lord's permitting it and even has a plan for it. But until he returns, we have a job to do and it's going to be a difficult one. So let's move right there to the big application, really the premise or not the premise, but the application of this particular pod from a century of sex revolution to a certainty in our scriptural truth to number three, that prompts a self-assertive parenting style. Which just means don't hide under a rock. <laughs> exactly. We can't deny reality. We can't pretend it isn't happening. And I think that's why I'm talking to a lot of you know older parents who've homeschooled. They tried to shelter their kids and they wonder why they started to stray. This will guaranteed impact our kids. Because children are the number one target of the gay pride agenda. And it doesn't matter if a child is homeschooled or in a private school, our kids need to be aware of the demonic evil. And I think you're onto something right there when you mentioned demonic, right? Because Peter told us the devil prowls like a lion seeking to devour. And we need to remember our kids are the weak gazelles toward the rear of the pack. They're easily picked off and they need strong educating and strong preparation. And this is important for those raised in the previous area of evangelicalism, right? Using lines like, well, our kids are salt and light, or they're going to be missionaries in the school system. Your kids aren't even saved yet. Most of them don't know the word yet. They haven't established a worldview yet, and you're sending those little boot campers out into World War III, spiritually speaking. And from government to entertainment, sports, and now education, from every YouTube commercial to the Fisher-Price line at Target, Hmm. that line of gay pride is working nonstop, 24 hours a day, to absolutely destroy your little one's soul. To devour. All right, let's list out a few steps of what we're going to call self-assertive parenting, and then we'll briefly explain them. So number one is be proactive. Number two is be bold. And number three is be equipping. Love, would you be willing to read them and then I'll explain them? You got it. Assertive parenting stance number one is be proactive, Mm -hmm. meaning that we must address the issues before the world does. And that's why it's so important to make daily Bible study part of your day so that your kids can grow up seeing God's design for marriage, for sex, for families. And they read all the examples of how sexual sin destroyed homes and joy. And this means they'll have clarity on what God designed as beautiful along with clarity on what God calls sin. And you don't want to skip these parts of the Bible. I know that's a temptation. Right, You go through the picture book and you want to skip the hard parts, especially by the time your kids are first or second grade and asking all the why questions. Because remember, those why questions are them forming their world picture, what Taylor called the social imaginary. So talk to them in age-appropriate terms about how God made male and female in his image and created marriage between one man and one woman and explain how the devil abuses and contorts that, even to the point sometimes, for example, wicked men desire icky and gross things like marrying another man. And even the can be introduced to concepts like we just read in Romans 1 without openly discussing sex because the passage clearly describes man's impossible search for meaning without God. So even young children can understand that we reject God's truth. Confusion will take over. Yeah. And by middle school, you can spend time around the table in the room at night with them or even take them out to coffee or a milkshake asking if they've met gay or trans people or if they've seen influencers online and then simply discuss the brokenness and the pain that they see as compared to what they get from mommy and daddy. And I mean, I'll even use commercials with my kids during an NFL game or whatever to get them thinking critically about advertising, logical fallacies, um, trying to build their fencing against the wiles of global machinery. And self-assertive parent stance number two, that is mouthful, (laughs) is 
is you did be good, my love. bold. And this just means don't let all the push from the LGBTQ powerhouses jam you or make you feel bad or rude for sharing God's truth with your kids. And we got to pause there because what you just mentioned, jamming, is a tactic that the gay pride activists started way back in the 80s. In fact, um, the book that penned and published their entire plan is called After the Ball, which was just a treatise on how eventually America would conquer its fear and hatred, quote, of gays in the 90s. And it lays out step by step their 30-year plan to do that. Number one was win media. Number two was persuade what they called the straights. Number three was to advertise everywhere. Number four was to unify the fundraisers. And then even number five, create a new code of ethics so that Mm -hmm. the gays would look like moral citizens. But one entire section deals with what they call jamming or connecting homosexual rights with civil rights, one after the Jim Crow era. And basically the entire agenda was equating sex rights with inalienable rights and naming anyone who opposed that as, quote, hateful and eventually guilty of, quote, hate speech or, quote, hate crimes. And all to say the idea of backing Bible believers into a corner was always the plan. And it's all based around the theory, which has notably been proven false time and again, that people are, in quote, born gay, when in reality, it's a choice, just like any other sexual choice. But what they did by equating born gay with born black or born Latino, the gay pride movement won the day both on definition of terms and subsequently on intimidation and now ultimately on policy. So the only natural response from Christians is truth Truth and and love, love. which doesn't mean being rude or harsh, but just honest about what's right and wrong according to God's word. And even if we're called a bigot or worse, we need to be confident in the Bible and teach our kids to be confident also. Yeah, and what's absolutely unloving, let's be clear, is letting a generation of kids grow up convinced the solution to their soul pain is changing pronouns or mutilating their bodies only to struggle for decades with bleeding, bloating, hormonal imbalance, depression, confusion, um, ending up on dialysis and with suicidal tendencies. Gay pride is abusing children in the name of its sex god and none of its love. In fact, it's the furthest thing from love. So we have to be bold. If not those who fear God and love the lost, then who? Then who? Well mm-hmm. said, my love. And lastly, self-assertive parenting principle number three is equipping your kids, which just means that though we can't hide our kids, we need to be bold for our kids. We also must prepare our kids to hear their conscience and make their own decisions. Like James 1 5 says, if any lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally without reproach. Yeah, we're not going to be with them forever. <laughs> By 16, they're driving. Mm-hmm. By 18, they're working off to college. And no matter how we raise them, their world picture will be pitted up against the insurgent world picture of gay pride. And the only shot they have is a personal defense of right, wrong, and why they stand for what they stand for. It cannot be mom and dad's faith. So we would recommend that by the preteen years, you've had your children read a book on puberty, God's development of the sexes and purposes for marriage, and spent time talking over their future marriage, praying for their spouse, answering questions about how they can react when pressured by the world to distort or amend the godly vision. Any books you'd recommend? Yes. For equipping preteens, try Mama Bear Apologetics by Hilary Morgan Fair and Fearfully and Wonderfully Made by Megan Best. And if you want something a bit more comprehensive, try God and the Transgender Debate by Andrew Walker. Yeah, a little bit longer, but still good. The point being, speak with a pastor, find a solid resource, and help your kids prepare for the assault of pressure, commercials, manipulators, lies, and threats that will guaranteed come alongside their stand for Christ and the nuclear home. Amen. Any final thoughts, my love? Just to model love in all of this. Mm, That's good. And that our children are watching us, that we're examples of how to stand for truth, in a loving way that seeks to help people by sharing the good news of Christ because we too were held captive by the kingdom of darkness. 
Well, that was a lot. So let me summarize. Number one, we're in a century of sex revolution. Number two, we can be certain of our scriptural truth. And number three, we must be self-assertive in our parenting, all leading to number four, that all of this can be truth in love, praying that the Lord would save lost souls, not to harm, but to help. One more reminder of all the books we just mentioned, Strange New World by Carl Truman, Mama Bear Apologetics by Hillary Morgan Fair, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made by Megan Best, and God and the Transgender Debate by Andrew T. Walker. So good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've just discussed the sinful assault on the glories of your name that's holding our world and countless souls captive. Please give us strength to stand firm in a perverse and crooked generation, to give truth to our children and to withstand all the fiery darts of the evil one. Most of all, use us, Lord, to spread the good news for your glory and the good of others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Date Night fam, thank you for being part of our extended family. If you have any questions on such a challenging topic, send us a message. And always an extra big thanks to Ethan, our producer, and everyone at Mission Bible. We will plan to see you in a week. So until then, keep living for the gospel and fighting for the family. Mm-hmm.